Today's episode of the Finding Light podcast is sponsored by David Pollard at Raymond James Partners Financial Group, which specializes in helping families and businesses manage their investments so that they can spend their time where it matters most. And Tillman Eye Center, which serves Carrollton, Georgia, with a wide range of optometry services in a professional and comfortable environment with staff who care. Hey everybody, and welcome to the Finding Light podcast, where we talk about finding light and happiness despite the dark circumstances we may be facing. I'm your host, speaker and author, Sarah Claudia Tillman, joined by my co-host, Erica Rivers. Hey, hey. Well, we're gonna start off as we always do, talking about the best things that happened to us this week. And mine is actually this episode. It's the very first episode of season two of the Finding Light podcast. Oh, yay. So we're so excited. We're thankful to all our listeners and we are excited to see what God does in our second season. Yes, that was a really good one. I don't really know how I can follow that. (laughs) You can't. (laughs) But now I'm going to talk about something really random. So my husband and I went to a place called Unclaimed Baggage in Alabama, but it was really cool. If you've never heard of it, it's basically this place where all of the unclaimed baggage, get the name, (laughs) goes to and you can buy anything in the store at a reduced price. So really cool. cool. I'm going to be going there for all of my Christmas shopping. Yeah, basically me too. I almost wanted to start shopping, but a little too early. Never too early. (laughs) (laughs) But our Bible verse today comes straight from our guest. It can be found in Galatians 2.20. It says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's one of my favorite verses. I like that verse, and I think we are going to kind of see that ring true today Mm -hmm. in this interview. So I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going (laughs) to go ahead and introduce our guest. So me and our guest today, we actually go way back, way back to elementary school and junior high. We grew up together in school, and after high school graduation, we went our separate ways and, and each went to different colleges, but... In our 20s, we both faced life-altering traumas that both tested and strengthened our faith. And so today we're going to hear that story from Zach Gordon. So I want to welcome my former classmate and my fellow follower of Christ, Zach, to the Finding Light podcast. Thank you for being with us today. Well, well hello. It's a uh, truly an honor to be a part of this. Um, truly thank y'all for having me. Yeah. Um, but as as uh, as Sarah Claudia said, I'm Zach Gordon, uh, born and raised in Carrollton, and like she said, uh, she and I grew up together, and uh, you know went through school together and all that. And um, you know it is crazy. I think it was uh, near the same age that we both faced something just just pretty pretty traumatic and pretty wild. Um, but uh, I currently teach um, special education and coach football, and I've been a special ed teacher and football coach for four years. I went to Wake Forest University and played football, and then I went to the University of Alabama and got my master's in special ed, and uh, that led me to South Carolina for a few years and then to back to Georgia, and I'm happily married to my high school sweetheart, Katie, um, and we have a golden retriever named Blue, um, <laughs> so it's... Uh, it's it's really cool as we you know kind of get into this. It's cool to see just how God's really connected the dot through everything that has happened and continues to. But uh, just truly blessed and honored to be here and excited to 
to share. Yeah. Well, we're excited. And you're right. We were about the same age. I think that our um, experiences, I'll call them for lack of better words, happened about a year apart, maybe. So, I think so. Yeah. I was 20. Yeah. Um, I think I was, yeah, was 20. Yeah. The fall of 2014. Yeah. Well, yeah. when we were in high school together, I remember you being quite the football star. So before we get into your story, tell us a little bit about what football means to you. Well, you know, I feel like we all hear it a lot from athletes or just from people who play sports or really are involved in any extracurricular. But really from the very beginning, from when I first started playing, it was just so much more than a game to me. I, I think that, you know, fortunately I had great parents and um, great siblings who taught me the meaning of life through sports and that kind of thing and how important it was just to be involved outside of school and be involved in other things. But I think, you know, some of my best friends to this day, you know, we grew up playing football together. We grew up playing just sports together, you know, and so from early on, I, I just, I loved it. And, and it helped that I was just a little bit taller um, than <laughs> some guys and, and, uh, you know, had the opportunity to, to play in college. But for me, it just stood for for something more than myself. And then really when I got to Wake and before everything happened, um, I really learned a lot about, you know, what an audience of one is and what it means to, to really glorify God through sports. And, and, and that was something that I think I just, I really kind of harnessed and really appreciated and still value just learning the podium that you can be on and, and the pedestal that you can use to, really just portray God's love and God's message through the sport, uh, which I think is so crucial today and just so crucial with everything that's going on. So that's just, it, it was just so much more to me than just lines on a field or, or putting on football pads. It was just, it was such a teacher life that really just is the reason why I'm still called to be a part of it to this day. Yeah. A lot more than a game. And it, it reminds me of that verse and all you do, do it for the Lord. And that's, that's kind yeah. of exactly what you're saying with football. You used it as a, as a platform to glorify God. Right. Can we circle back around to the audience of one? Zach, can you mm -hmm. tell us a little bit more about that? Like, what does that mean? Right. So when I was, um, a lot of people I think are familiar with fellowship of Christian athletes, mm -hmm. which is, you know, through high schools and even through some colleges and stuff. And, you know, I was a part of that growing up and everything. And then when I got to Wake, I'd heard this thing called Athletes in Action, which is basically Fellowship of Christian Athletes, but at the college level. And they had a, a big retreat in uh, University of uh, Colorado State uh, when I was a uh, when I was a sophomore. And that was when I really got introduced to what an audience of one is. And you know, it was a, a fantastic message and everything. But it was just really, you know, we had all these athletes and all these you know football players, basketball players, all these. Um, athletes from across the country who came together and they were really just talking about what it means to play for an audience of one and no matter how many people are in the stands no matter how many people are watching your true worth and your true value comes from that audience of one which is God and for me that that really hit home just because I needed to hear that at that time but but also not only playing for an audience of one but just living for an audience of one and mm -hmm. and what it means to live your life in a way that may not be pleasing to others at times, but it's pleasing to the one that truly matters. And so that's something that, you know, really was just powerful to me. And it's, you know, it's something short and simple that you can just always remember. And, you know, you can write it on a, a wristband or write it on your hand or a sticky note as just a focal point, you know, audience of one each and every day. 
Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's such a good yeah. reminder of his ever presence too. Well, I think we've kind of set the stage and we've let our, our listeners <laughs> get to know you a little bit. So let's right. take it back to August 17th of 2014. Walk yeah. us through that day. So, you know, it's crazy preparing for this. You know, you, you go through old, like I keep everything. I don't throw anything away and you keep old journals and you keep old, old things that you that you remember from certain moments and it's crazy how fresh you know six years ago can feel but you know it was it was the the weekend before students got to campus at wake i was going into my junior football season and it was really right towards the end of fall camp and that's truly one of the times where you question whether or not you want to play a sport is during the camp season you know it's, uh, it's long it's grueling it's hot um, and it was really tough, but um, my parents had come up for the weekend, and they were at a local campground. And the day before, there was a fan fest, which is where all the fans come on the field, uh, players sign autographs, all that kind of thing. And my parents were actually the, the, that's what they were up in in town for. And and that next morning, they had were preparing to leave to come back to Carrollton. And Wake is about six hours away from Carrollton, just to put it in perspective. So that morning, I woke up, saw my parents goodbye, and I headed to the the football facilities um, because we had a scrimmage. It was the second scrimmage before we started our preparation for our first game of the year. And so there was a lot of excitement in the air. I, at the time, was fortunate enough to be the starting tight end. So I was really excited. You know, it was going to be what I thought was going to be a huge year. And, you know, I was just really looking forward to the opportunity. And so, you know, told my parents goodbye and got to the football facilities and got ready everything. And, uh, you know, we're at the stadium having a scrimmage. And I had been in for a while, and it was probably about an hour or so into the scrimmage. Um, and I ran a passing route, and uh, I ran, and I looked over my right shoulder, and the ball had been thrown to me, but it was I could tell that it was high and above my head. So I jumped up in the air, and when I jumped up, I uh, you know lifted my arms, of course, to catch the ball. And at that time, a defender came, and he struck me right in the chest, really right, right below my sternum. And I feel like I've gotten a hit like that you know, plenty of times playing the sport, but I got hit. And the, the first thing that I thought of was that I had gotten, um, I got the breath knocked out of me. And so I fell down and I fell kind of onto my, my right shoulder and, and, you know, just naturally rolled onto my back. And, um, you know, the trainers, of course, team doctors came out on the field and I was gasping for breath and, you know, just slowly get my breath back. And, you know, I, I told the trainers, they asked me what was wrong. I said, I you know, I got the breath knocked out of me. Just give me a second. And, um, the trainer at that time, Nick Ritchie, you know, he then said, okay, Zach, let's get up, you know, let's get off the field for, for the next play. And I tried to get up and I couldn't. I tried to move. I tried to, you know, tried to, tried to move my arms, my legs, anything, and I couldn't get up. And I felt, it felt like a really, really hot blanket was all over my body. Um, and of course, I had on all my, my football pads and everything and my pants and helmet. And that's when I told the, the athletic trainer, Nick Ritchie, I said, I, I can't, I'm trying, but I can't, can't get up. I can't move at all. And so, you know, it's, you know, thinking back to it, I was conscious for every bit of it. You know, I was diagnosed with it, with a concussion, um, but I don't, I don't feel like I had one, you know, I knew everything that was going on. But once I told the trainers and the staff that I couldn't move, you know, it was, it was almost like chaos, but organized chaos. You know, you had all these people, they were touching me, they were doing all these tests on my arms and my legs, they were holding my legs, you know, they would hold a leg up and tell me to hold it in the air and it would just fall down to the ground. They would do the same thing with my arms, they, you know, they were, they were pinching my fingers, you know, just pinching different parts of me just to try to get some, some movement, some feeling, any type of recognition. And I had nothing. I didn't have anything. 
Mm. And so, you know, I kept telling them that, and that, you know, there was nothing going on. And at this point, I'll get into it later, but Dave Clawson, he's, he's the head coach at Wake Forest, and he had stopped practice, and everybody was on a knee just kind of waiting to see. And so I had to have my, my pads taken off, you know, I had to have my helmet taken off and, and was put on a stretcher and taken to the hospital. And at that point, I, I had no – I knew what was going on, but it was it was that shock factor. But all I knew was that I tried to get up off the field and I couldn't move. I was conscious for everything. I just couldn't – I couldn't feel anything, couldn't move at all. So the trainers and the team doctors, they put me – put me on the stretcher, which I, I do remember to this day that the, the trainer said that I was too tall for it because <laughs> my feet were hanging off of it. But uh, I, I remember that, I guess, silver lining in it. I don't know. But I was putting the putting the ambulance and taken to uh, Wake Forest Baptist Hospital, which is thankfully a, a phenomenal hospital. It's a research hospital in Winston-Salem and really top of the line doctors and nurses, nurses there. So at this time, you know, my parents had already hit the road and are, and are screaming down 85 going back to Carroll. And so I'm in the ambulance and the, uh, the team trainer, he goes, Zach, I need your, I need your parents' cell phone number. And y'all have to bear with me for a second. Sorry. Um, but, um, I remember knowing my parents' phone numbers right off there, you know, right off the top of my head, you know, what, what kid doesn't, but I didn't want to give it to him. He had to force it out of me because I didn't want them to get that phone call. Yeah. And so, you know, eventually, obviously, I gave it to them, and they called my they called my dad and, you know, told him the situation, that they weren't sure what, what happened, but that I got hit and, and I wasn't able to move. So so, so we, we take care of that. And, um, you know, a few moments later, we get to the trauma center at Wake Forest Baptist Hospital. And, uh, you know, it, it, as soon as the stretcher hits the floor, it's, it's a nurse asking me this, a doctor coming to do this test. It's, it's all this stuff happening. And so I, I got there and I was immediately rushed to a trauma, uh, trauma unit bedroom. And I remember that I was transferred from a, the stretcher to basically a big wooden board. And the wooden board was, was there to, to make sure that my spine and my back and everything remained completely straight. But I also had to basically taped me to the board so that if I had any involuntary muscle spasm or anything like that, you know, I wouldn't fall off the board and that kind of thing. But so I was put on that board and I was, I was put in a MRI and all these different scans. And, you know, after I got done with the MRI, which took about an hour and a half to two hours, and, and still at this point, I, I have no idea what's happening, no idea why I can't feel anything. We're just trying to find the answers to this. And the time I got out of the first scan, then my mom and dad showed up. And, of course, all I can see is basically the hospital lights, you know, shining down because I couldn't couldn't move anything. And, you know, my mom and dad embraced me there in the hospital room. And, and uh, you know, that was obviously a very, very emotional moment just because just the shock with all of us was still so present. Um, but I do remember, you know, the first thing that my mom said when – she came up and, and saw me was she didn't say how I was. She didn't um, ask if I was, ask if I was okay. She said, Zachary, God's here. Mm. And, and that she just kept repeating that. Um, she just kept repeating it over and over and over that God was here and God was here. And, um, you know, so I was really glad that they were there um, and that they were surrounding me, but I was still just so, so confused still. And so, you know, tests are still, still being done and continuing to, to be done, but still nobody really has an answer. They're not able to 
see anything that's wrong with my spine on the MRI. They're not able to get any feeling from me, any movement from me. Thankfully, you know, they weren't able to find anything on the scan, but they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what was happening. And so this is this is probably a four to five hour process after the initial hit. Okay, so all these tests were being done and you know, doctor after doctor coming in, pinching my toe and, and holding my leg up and, and all these different tests. It's just it's the same answer. You know, I can't feel anything. I have no idea, but I, I have no feeling. So that you know, it's getting getting closer towards evening time and towards nighttime. So I was I was placed in the unit in the ICU for the first night that I was there and I remember, you know, being fed, you know, ice chips and jello by my dad and, and, you know, making phone calls and, you know, my girlfriend wife now, you know, she was on her way from, from Athens headed up to Winston, which is about four and a half hours. Thankfully, one of my friends on the team had called her and told her. And so still at this point, roughly about six to seven hours after the hit, it's getting nighttime. I still, I don't have any movement. I don't have any feeling. I have no idea what's going on. And so it was roughly about eight or nine hours after the hit that I was in the ICU. My mom's there. My dad's there. Katie's on her way. And I feel like a little bee thing, felt like a little bee watch thing on my right big toe. And I was like, what, what is happening right now? And I, I tried to, you know, look to see down there, but I, I couldn't, obviously, because I couldn't move any other part of me. But I just started moving my moving my big toe, started moving it as fast as I could. My mom, I think my mom was the first one that noticed because I might have had a blanket over my legs, but she could see that my my toe was moving. And she got so excited. My parents got so excited, <laughs> and I was I was determined to fly out of that hospital just wiggling my big toe. <laughs> and you know that that was the only thing that I could move or feel. Um, and and I was so excited about that, but I was still so confused. You know, we still didn't have any answers. And so, you know, they, we continue to, to get nurse after nurse and doctor come in and, and that, you know, they're, they're happy about me moving my, my toe, but they're still just uncertain as to what caused, caused all this. But then uh, a neurosurgeon came in and her name was Dr. Wolf. And, uh, you know, she was phenomenal. And she said, you know, Zach, I, I think you're going to get all your feeling back. Um, it's just a matter of time. And we're still wondering, you know, what, what, what caused this? And, and the term for it that she gave us then was called transient quadriplegia, which basically means temporary paralysis. And what happened is when I got hit, then everything just shut off. It was the perfect storm, the perfect placement of the defender's pad on my chest, and the whiplash action of the hit stretched my spine and shut everything off. And the comparison that I've tried to deliver to people, I guess, throughout the years, just, just sharing the story is that it at the time, I was 20 years old, and it, you know, I equate it to basically a 20-year-old computer that's been running and running and running and running and running, and then it's automatically just shut off like that. Mm. And so there was just a constant, a very slow rebooting process. Yeah. Um, and so I was really excited. You know, I got a diagnosis. It was still crazy, but still, all I could move was my right big toe. <laughs> and so we're we're wondering, you know, okay what's going to happen next? Like, when am I going to get all the feeling back? And, you know, there really wasn't an answer for that because it was, it was such a bizarre injury and such a bizarre thing. But, you know, they said in time, you'll have, you'll have some movement, some feeling back. I said, okay, so now we just wait. And so, you know, that first night in the ICU is, is something I, I pray no one has to deal with in their life, but you know, it's, it's very hectic. There's, there's so many tests every hour. It seems like, 
somebody always in the room. There's never any peace and quiet. And, um, you know, fortunately, as the night went on, I was able to get a little bit of feeling in my right fingertips and a little more feeling in my right foot. Um, and so because of that, I was I transitioned from a intensive care unit to a critical care unit at Wake Forest Hospital, which may not sound much better, but it is. It is a step up. Um, so I went into a critical care unit the second day that I was at the hospital, and I was finally able to, you know, I was able to be sat up from the hospital bed and slowly started to to regain a little bit of feeling throughout my entire body, but I was still just incredibly weak, you know, and I had a, a neck brace on and all these IVs and stuff put to me, and, um, you know, fortunately, Katie was able to make it there, and so I had the embrace of her around me as well. And then when I was in the, the critical care unit, um, it seemed like everybody on the team kept pouring in. And, and I was so blessed to fellowship with those guys who the day before, you know, I was I was playing the sport with. But they were there lifting us up in, in prayer and that was that was truly amazing to see and to be to be a part of them. And so, you know, there's there's still doctors and there's still nurses coming in and doing tests when I'm in the critical care unit and because I was able to get a little more feeling back and a little bit more movement in my arms, then they transitioned me to a regular hospital bed. So we're going on almost the third day, and I'm in that hospital bed, and, you know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good, and a, a physical therapist comes in and, you know, sits me up on the bed and is doing some, some exercises with me, and she's just trying to see, you know, what what is my strength like, what is my movement like, all that kind of thing. And it, it was the most bizarre part of the entire injury was is about that third day that I realized that I couldn't remember how to do any of this stuff that I was only being sat up in the bed because the nurse was helping me get up I was only able to move my legs because the nurse was helping me move my legs my brain could not remember how to pick up a pencil or how to pick up a fork or how to move my legs off the bed which was so bizarre because I could feel and I could see that I was being moved and that the nurse was helping and the physical therapist was helping me move, but I couldn't do it on my own, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so it, that was just such a bizarre moment because I remember telling the doctors that and they were almost just as surprised as I was because it was like the connection from my brain to really my spinal cord and to all my other nerves and muscles, there was just a disconnect there. And so for most of that end of the second day, beginning of the third day, I spent a lot of the time with the neurosurgeon really just talking about the injury and talking about how long this process would take. And I really got the answer that nobody really wants to get, which is I don't know. Mm. And basically I was told, you know, you're going to get your feeling and movement back We just don't know how long it's going to take. We don't know how long it's going to take to get full range of motion back in your entire body. That's just the nature of this injury. We're just not sure. The spinal cord and brain connected, it's it's on its own time. And so at this point, you know, I'm thinking, oh, great. You know, I'm one of the most impatient people when it comes to certain things. And I'm like, I I, got to get out of here. And then, you know, um, I'm thinking about, 
what does what does football look like after this? You know, what what is what do sports, what do activities look like after this? So all these different thoughts are going through my head, and I'm just surrounded by my family and Katie and and friends and everything, and trying to just piece this together and trying to figure out what's going on. And and I I reflect had to reflect back to a moment when I was in the trauma unit. You know, this this can be brought up later, but I feel like it has to be told now. You know, I had no idea what was going on. And I didn't know, obviously, if I was going to walk again or feel again or whatever. And I was just strapped to that board. But I had a trauma nurse. And a quick little side note, uh, a sign of God being near in my family since I was a little kid was sight of a butterfly. And anytime we see a butterfly as a little kid, my mom would always say, you know, that's God. God's here. God's close. And, you know, just carrying um carrying towards my young adult life that was just something that was just always always something that we shared as a family at the time my brother he was teaching in Honduras my sister was in Savannah teaching so we were all over the place but we knew that you know if we saw a butterfly it meant that God was close God was near and anyway so as I'm being wheeled into one of those uh first scans when I first got to the hospital I'll never forget all I could see was up towards the light and I could but I could see the wrist of the trauma nurse and on her right wrist, she had a tattoo of two little butterflies. Oh, wow. And I remember, you know, just thinking, like, that's before my parents had gotten to the hospital. I was I was by myself. It was still the shock of everything that had been going on. But I saw this tattoo, and I was like, holy smokes, man. Like, that, that is, that's God, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. And, uh, you know, fortunately, uh, that trauma nurse is, is one who, who frequently came into the the room into the hospital room and ended up being able to have a good relationship with her, which was phenomenal. But that was just something that in those dark moments, I was able to see a little bit of the light, yeah. even though I was still super confused. And so fast forwarding back to, to where we currently were, you know, we were, I was, you know, still talking with the neurosurgeon, figuring things out. And she said, you know, it's, it's just going to take time. It's going to take time. And, and fortunately, I had made enough progress in the first three days that I was in the hospital that I was able to be relieved under some pretty strict conditions to go home, to go to go back to, to where I was living at Wake on campus. And so on the third day around that afternoon, I was released from the hospital. Um, I had a neck brace and a, a cane and a wheelchair. Um, but I was able to go back to what I thought was going to be as close to normal as possible. And so, you know, we, we get back and there's all these things that are, are going through my head. So much was happening. You know, kids were moving on the campus. I was moving to a, a, a campus apartment. There were all these things that had to happen. And, you know, Katie and my mom and my dad and, and friends were all trying to pitch in. But in the back of my head, I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, okay, what happens now? You know, I, I, I still can't, I've got some strength. I've got, I've, I've got a little bit of movement, but I can't get up on myself. I can't scratch my own head by myself. So what am I supposed to do? And so that same day I met Niles Fleet, who was the athletic trainer or one of the physical therapists and athletic trainer at Wake Forest. And he was, who was going to be in charge of my physical therapy. And, you know, physical therapy started that day and it was six days a week for two to three hours a day for about six months. And, you know, he, he, he grinded me down and he, he really just started from the very beginning. And he said, listen, it's going to take a while, but we're going to get through this and, and we're going to do it together. Um, and he was, he was phenomenal. He truly, he taught me how to roll over again. He taught me how to get up. He taught me how to stand up. He taught me how to 
walk in a straight line and move my head. At the same time, he taught me how to run. You know, he taught me how to do all the things from the very, very beginning that I truly was like an infant trying to learn all this stuff again because it was just the most bizarre thing that my, you know, my brain just couldn't do it, couldn't figure out how to connect everything and put everything together. And so it was, that, that was pretty, pretty wild. And so, you know, again, I'm still thinking, what does the future look like with football? What's it going to look like? What am I going to be able to do? What am I not going to be able to do? This segment of the Finding Light podcast is brought to you by Plaza Home Care, a medical supply and equipment company located in downtown Villarica, where they are big enough to serve you and small enough to care about you. Plaza Home Care is committed to providing you and your family with quality medical equipment such as CPAP compression hoses, walkers, lift chairs, and more. The staff are sure to earn your trust as they listen to your needs, follow through on their word, and provide incomparable levels of customer care. I know the owners of Plaza Home Care personally, and trust me, you are sure to receive just that and much more. For more information on Plaza Home Care, visit the Sponsors tab at sarahclaudia.com. Fortunately, I had a, a really good relationship with my physician coach and Coach Clawson, the head coach, and they were, you know, conversing back and forth. And the decision was made to not continue to be able to play the sport again. Mm. And when something is a part of your life for so long, that is an incredibly difficult pill to swallow, whether it's any activity at all. When it's a part of your life for nearly 20 years, then it's uh, – it, it's very, very difficult. But because of the increased risk for something bad happening again and it being permanent, the decision was made to be you know, medically retired from the game. But I was able to still stay on scholarship at Wake, which was absolutely phenomenal and such a testament to the high character of those coaches and the staff and support staff there. And so that decision's been made as I'm going through physical therapy. And so it's just a an insane time of life. And it's during the fall. Everybody's on campus. All this stuff's going on. And I've been issued a motorized scooter as well as my neck brace, big blue neck brace. And I'm just riding that scooter all around campus because I thought in my head that I would continue to go to classes because I, I wanted to have some sense of normalcy. And so I'm continuing to try to go to my classes. And, and thankfully, most of them are all on the first floor of every building on campus and Wake's a really, really small campus, which is nice. But that was still just crazy that I thought that I would be able to do that. And thankfully I was, but it was still just, just such a, uh, a crazy time. And um, so I'm still rehabbing and still, still doing all this stuff, going through physical therapy. And um, on my 21st birthday on October 1st, so injury happened August 17th and October 1st, my 21st birthday, I was able to run a lap around the track at, um, campus at Wake Forest and you know I had my position coach athletic trainer and physical therapist all all beside me kind of making sure that I was being held up and wasn't going to topple over it, it wasn't the most smooth lap <laughs> but it, it was a lap and so that was you know that I'm sure that you know people think their 21st birthday needs to look a lot different but that was uh, such an amazing moment and then about a month later Wake Forest played Clemson on a Saturday night in Winston-Salem, and I was able to wear my jersey, and I was able to lead the team onto the field. I was able to run the team onto the field, and they, they opened through a big black gate, and I was able to be the lead the charge on that. And that was uh, 
that was pretty amazing. Um, that that was a, a very very cool moment to be a part of, and you know, still through this through all this, I'm still I know that my career playing wise is over, but I've still got you know basically a year and a half of school left, and trying to figure out what is going to happen. Going back just a little bit throughout the entire rehab process, you know, Katie, my wife, she came up every weekend, and uh, you know, there were times where she had to shave my face. There were times where she had to help me put on clothes. There were times where, you know, she had to help me get up when I fell down. And, and she was always there and was always just there supporting me and being there for me. But but going forward, you know, I was still wondering what, what's my time going to look like at this place that I came to play football and love the place, but don't really know what things are going to look like. And I'll never forget, I had a meeting with Coach Clawson, the head coach, and he said, listen, Zach, he said, you can have whatever role you would like to have on this team. He knew of my interest in wanting to be a coach one day, and he said, if you want to be a coach, then you can be a coach. And he gave me that opportunity to serve as one of the tight ends coaches My the end of my junior year and for the entire duration of my senior year, I got to be on the coaching staff. And that was such a humbling experience and just something that I think, you know, a lot of people, when they think of Division One college coaches, they – they almost think of them like machines, you know, like there's so much that they have to do and there's so many different responsibilities responsibilities that they have that they almost forget that they're human. And, you know, Coach Carlson, he, he showed just the utmost compassion and just heart and love in that moment because he gave me a role that was phenomenal. And I was able to serve as a coach and, um, you know, I was able to signal in plays my senior year and, and travel with the team and be a part of the staff and, you know, it was phenomenal. It, it gave me a foot in the coaching door that I don't know if I, I would have ever got had this not happened. And, you know, so I'm truly, truly, truly thankful for that. And and that truly really led me to my desire to teach special education because I knew and I do know, thank the Lord, that it is only for a temporary time what it's like to to have an impairment of some mm-hmm. of some type. And to to be able to minister to those students and to be able to just to be there for, for those students who have impairments of any kind, I think is just a blessing because I know really what it feels like to have one. And so it's, it's been, like I said at the beginning, it's been kind of wild and just kind of takes your breath away to see the, the direction that, that God has for your life and continues to have for your life. And fortunately, you know, the year after I graduated, you know, I proposed to, to propose to Katie and then a year later we got married and now we're going on three years. And so we're truly blessed and thankful for that. But it's just, it's so, it's so funny and, and cool to, to think about all the, the things that you had planned not happen at all, but everything that needed to happen happen exactly as it should and so I'm, I'm i'm truly thankful and and extremely thankful for you know there's a few side effects that i have every now and then you know sometimes you know my back will hurt more often times than a 27 year old back should hurt more i'll get i'll get some tingling every now and then but for the most part i'll say that i've, I've had a, a full healthy recovery and and i'm so blessed to be able to say that because i know so many people can't but it's just, it's like I said, it's been so humbling and, and just reassuring of, of God's goodness throughout this entire process. I, I wish we had talked sooner than this because there are so many similarities in our stories. Like every yeah. time you said something, I was like, wow, I went through that. You know, I, I was 20. I went to college yep. for my sport, which was equestrian horseback riding. And right. 
when I lost my sight, all of that was taken away from me too. And my independence and all of that. But just like you, I wanted that sense of normalcy back. I I went back to school with my white cane just eight months after losing my sight. But just like you, I quickly realized this, this isn't going to be normal. Nothing's going to go back to normal. And it was hard. And I think when people hear stories like ours, they don't, expect us to end the story by saying like you did it's just so funny and cool like that's that's not what people expect but God can work in those situations and you are such a good testament of that and the way you talk about it with so much ease and and so much comfort you can tell that you know when you saw that butterfly I'm sure you had so many things going in your head but I'm sure when you saw that butterfly and you knew God was there, you kind of had that thought in the back of your head that everything's going to be okay and God's right. going to work this out. Right. And it's, you know, it's, it's wild, you know, like I said, looking back as I was kind of preparing a little bit, just looking back as to, you know, things that you, you write down and things that you, you think about, you know, a lot of the times throughout the day, I'm a big list maker, you know, make a list first thing in the morning. And if I don't accomplish those things, then it, it's been a wash of a day, you know. Yeah. But I was looking through an old an old journal and it was really, it was like September of 2014. So I'm, you know, right in the thick of therapy and just really depressed and trying to trying to figure all this out and, and, and lean on God and everything. And I had made a list of the good of the day and I tried to come up with 10 things it was a, a friend of mine. He uh, advised me to try to try to start doing it, and it was just ten things that ten good things that happened throughout the day. And so, you know, a few of those things were, you know, spoke with Katie, spoke with my parents, you know, made an A on this test, and then one of them was stood up for ten minutes without getting lightheaded. Oh, um, another one was, you know, I was able to walk and check the mail. I was able to uh, get up and fix myself breakfast. And, you know, it, it's really been a great kind of perspective shift again, just looking at this stuff and seeing, gosh, this, like, getting out of bed was a priority. You know, if, if I was able to do that, then it was going to be a good day. And I think that, that that's, it helped me looking, it, it continues to help me looking back because the biggest thing is just perspective, mm-hmm. you know, and it, this was such a perspective shift and perspective change with everything that happened and just relishing in those small victories and those small moments. However small they may be, they're still just that, a victory. And, uh, you know, that, that was just something cool that I, I looked at a couple of days ago and was like, golly, I can't believe, you know, I remember writing those things down, but just the, the, I couldn't specifically remember what they were. Um, and so that, that was just, that was pretty cool, cool to relive for a minute. And I bet that maybe, I don't know, that's something that you do with your students. I feel like that would be a good perspective change for them as well. Just listing out, you know, the, the small um, rewards of the day, the small triumphs. Absolutely. And, and with, with high school students, especially, you know, you, there's no telling what's on their mind. So to give them as much of a perspective change as possible is, uh, is very important. Yeah. Well, I feel like we've got, we've gone over so many pieces of light, but I want to end this with you picking out just a few of the blessings or, you know, the positives that came from this situation. I think, you know, one of, I really think the biggest thing that I saw was, what a servant's heart truly looks like with Katie 
you know, she was, gosh, she was the rock that was there every weekend for me and, and, and helped so much. And she, you know, reliving those moments still inspires me to this day to try to be as good of a husband as I can to her. But just the, the power of prayer and also just God's goodness. And I think that, you know, one of the biggest things that we all kind of want to search for in our lives is purpose. You know, why am I here? What what am I doing in this specific moment? What do I, what do I need to do to further my career, further further anything? And I think that the, the biggest thing that I took away from all this and continue to is just God's created you with a higher purpose. And, you know, I, I strongly believe that's to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But whatever that may look like in your life, live with that purpose. You know, live with that purpose. And if you can't find it right now, then it's okay. You know, you, you have a purpose on this earth to share God's goodness. And it may look like being a special ed teacher. It might look like hosting a podcast. It may look like being a postal deliverer. You know, it, it can take so many different forms and different ways, but everyone's got a purpose. And I think that no matter what it is, big or small, live it with the utmost passion and positivity that you can because God's got you. He truly does. And, and I think that, you know, the biggest thing that a lot of people can't, you know, a lot of people may not be able to relate to super traumatic events, but I think a lot of people can relate to trying to figure out what they're doing here on earth, you know, trying to figure out what their purpose is. And, and God has, has got that under control. He, he knows what your purpose is. You just have to find it and believe and trust in him because he's going to guide you in the direction that you need to go. As, no matter how hard it is sometimes or easy it is at times, he's going to take care of you. So I think, I know that was long-winded, but I think <laughs> that, um, you know, that that's just that's just what continues to, continues just to, to dwell on my heart to this day. Yeah. No, I think that's a, a really good point because after I lost my sight and, I know a lot of people go through that, just searching for their purpose, but especially when you you go through a life change. But as soon as you stop thinking about it as your purpose and start thinking about God's purpose, I think that's when it all really falls into place. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, I think we, we all heard it so many times, you know, nothing, nothing happens in your life that isn't filtered through God's hands first, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, whatever, you know, and I think understanding that and, and that's a tough pill to swallow at times. And obviously was for the both of us for sure, but finding beauty in it and finding the good in any kind of moment is, is our call. And that, that can help us to spread that good and to be that good to all those around us. Well, this was an amazing conversation. I, I loved hearing your story. You know, me and Erica, when we were preparing for this, we read your story and I think we were both just kind of <laughs> overwhelmed and overtaken by yeah. it. But hearing you speak it is even 10 times better. And, and we can, we can feel the Lord's just comfort and grace and power coming through every little piece of it yeah amen yeah well well i, I really appreciate it and i um you know i'm thankful that that it's a story to be told but we all have one mm-hmm. you know and i think that that's that's another thing that i've you know you can never really control how someone responds to a story or something but i think the biggest thing for anyone listening and for for anybody is that we all have a story to tell and we we shouldn't we shouldn't judge anybody we shouldn't make blame on anybody because we don't know everybody's story. Mm-hmm. And I think if we just mm-hmm. took time to, to hear each other's stories, then, then that would be the first step in just spreading God's love. And so I think that that's something that, 
I'll continue to try to try to take away and and we all can can work that mission together. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Zach, for being here with thank us. Thank you all. I appreciate it. Thank you. Now, I want to remind everybody to head over to sarahclaudia.com, sign up for my email list, and head over to Sarah Claudia Ministries on Facebook and Instagram to keep up with what I'm doing next. Yes. And if you haven't seen already, go check out Sarah Claudia's new book, Blind Faith Devotional. And we will see y'all next time.